Scripture teaches that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. And that's exciting stuff to think about. That's exciting stuff to, to preach about. And it should be. We ought to be excited at the thought of God's power working in us and through us and for us. But I wonder if sometimes we affirm the exceeding abundant power of God, but, though we, but we live as though God's power was not exceedingly abundant. I mean, how often does fear control our lives? How often does the fear of man keep us from doing what we're fairly certain God would have us to do? How often do we choose what is comfortable and what is easy over what is risky and what is uncomfortable? How often do we just make choices and actions that we take? And while we wouldn't say it, they, they say for us that God maybe isn't big enough to handle the problem we're facing. God isn't powerful enough to, to help us do what it is we ought to do. And I'm sure as believers, we would all say that we do want to experience God's exceeding abundant power working in us and through us and for us. But do we want it enough to do what is required of us so that we can experience God's power? So what do we do? How do we experience God's power? Open your Bible to Romans chapter one, verse eight is where we're going to start. That's on page 857. Actually, we're going to start at verse nine. Romans 1, 8 and verse 9, page 857. When you find that, I'm asking you to stand on the reading of God's word. Romans 1 and 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The title of the message this morning is Experiencing the Power of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity we have today to study your word, to, Lord, to be in your presence, to know that you're here, to be gathered together as a church family, Lord, and just to see and be with one another. Lord, as we have gathered here today, we have come with a desire to know more of your word and your ways and your will for our lives. God, as we spend this time in the Word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and focus our hearts and minds upon you. Lord, you know it's easy to let our minds stray. It's easy to think about maybe stuff we've got to do this afternoon or stuff that's coming up this week. But Lord, today in this time, 
Let our hearts and minds have a laser like focus on what you're saying to us. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts that would receive your word. Father, let your spirit take it and and Lord, just sort of poke us wherever we need to be poked. Lord, if we need to be convicted about something today, let your spirit use the word like a sword to convict us. Father, if we need to be encouraged by something today, let your spirit take the word and use it to encourage us and strengthen us in our relationship with you. God, we just lay ourselves before you and offer ourselves to you. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives. Have your way in our minds. And God, as we receive your word, let us respond to it, not just in the immediate time after the service, but Lord, as we go throughout this next week, let us respond to your word every day day next week in ways that demonstrate that Jesus is Lord over our lives. Oh, God, today, let your word be mighty. Let your spirit move. And Lord, let us experience your power in our midst today. We ask in Jesus, holy and precious name. Amen. But you may be seated. Now, the gospel is the power of God. And that may not be what we think about when we talk about the power of God. But let us think about three truths. First, the power of God is seen through the gospel as souls are saved and lives are changed. Those who believe the gospel experience the power of God as they are born again. And as they are remade by God to be more and more like Jesus. This same power of God is continued. It is seen as it is spread. From one person to another. One person is reborn. And they take that and they share it with someone else. And then someone else is reborn. In some cases we see in scripture and in life where one person is reborn. Then an entire household is reborn and become more and more like Jesus. Well, if it spreads from one person to a household, it could spread to a neighborhood, to a community. We see that in scripture. Church history is filled with examples of the gospel going into places and entire Entire communities being transformed by the power of God through the gospel. That is the power of God. And it begins with people believing the gospel. And then they experience the power of God. Secondly, the promise of God's power given to us is almost always connected with sharing the gospel. Right? Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke to stay in Jerusalem until they are endued with power from on high. And what are they to do once they're endued with power from on high? They are to proclaim the message that repentance and remission of sins must be preached in Jesus' name to all the nations. In the book of Acts, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells the disciples again to stay in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit will come upon them and they will receive power. And what happens after they receive power? They will be his witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus promises the power of God to enable his people to proclaim the gospel. And even when you think about the powerful manifestations of God's power displayed in the New Testament, they always had a purpose. Why did God heal? Why were there signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Spirit given throughout the book of Acts and in the early letters of the New Testament? 
They were given to confirm the message being proclaimed. That's what Hebrews tells us. And what was the message? Well, it was the gospel. The demonstration of God's power in the New Testament was almost always tied to the proclamation of the gospel. Either they proclaimed the gospel and God demonstrated that the gospel was the message and that they were from him through powerful demonstrations. Or God empowered them so they could then go and proclaim the gospel. Those who proclaim the gospel are far more likely to experience the power of God than those who do not. So taken from these three truths, we learn this about experiencing God's power. Those who believe the gospel and those who share the gospel experience the power of God. But if we want to experience God's power at work in us and through us and for us, we must first believe the gospel and then we must also share the gospel. That is the way God has worked it so that his power would be experienced in a disciple's life. This passage gives us five actions to take to prepare us to experience God's power by proclaiming the gospel. First is pray for opportunities to minister. Notice in verse nine, Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. So. It was not uncommon for Paul to pray for people and say that he did, but he tells us why he prayed for them. Making request, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul had never actually been to Rome, to the church at Rome. And his prayer was, God, make it so that I can go there. Work out a way, Lord, within your will that I can go to Rome. For what purpose, though? For I long to see you. That it may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. Like Paul prayed for them and he prayed to go to them. And the reason he was praying to go to them was so that he could then minister to them. Like Paul's desire was not just to go to Rome to go sightseeing. Paul's desire was not just to go to Rome to meet new people. His prayer was to go there so that he could minister to them. He could share the gospel. He could serve them. He could do whatever needed to be done to help them to be established in the faith, built up so they could live and they could serve Jesus. So if we want to experience God's power in our lives, then we should regularly pray for opportunities to minister to others. Now, ministry, simply serving Jesus by serving others. Right? Don't get caught up on ministry being what pastors and preachers and missionaries do. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a minister. We are all meant to serve Jesus by serving others. Now, it's important also to understand that, that ministry, that serving Jesus by serving others, it is a non-negotiable part of experiencing God's power in our lives. But again, we could go through the Bible if we had time. And what we would find is when the Holy Spirit came upon the people of God, when God's power came upon them, it was always to do something. You go through the New Testament, the Spirit of God came upon them, the power of God came upon them, and then they began to serve God by serving others. Always. But the only time 
in Scripture that I can find where the power of God comes upon them and does not enable them to serve others is through intercessory prayer mentioned in Romans chapter 8. But if you think about it, even that is serving others because intercessory prayer is not praying for myself. It's praying for others. If I am unwilling to serve Jesus by serving others, then I am setting myself in a place where I will never experience God's power in my life. God will not empower us to sit and do nothing. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, when the power of God works through us, it is always so that we can go do something for the glory of God, to the advancement of the gospel, to minister and help and serve others. Always. So if I want to experience God's power in my life, I must regularly pray for opportunities to minister. But who do I pray for? How do I go about doing this? Let me give you just some general guidelines, right? Pray for people I'm burdened about. Right now, who weighs heavily on your heart? What person, what individual, what group of people burden you about their Relationship with Jesus, their lack of relationship with Jesus, life choices they're making, things that are going on in their lives. People typically weigh on our hearts for one or two reasons. They weigh on our hearts because we already know them and we love them and we are legitimately concerned about their eternity. We're concerned about their choices. We're concerned about their life. The other is that God has placed them upon our hearts. If God has placed someone upon our hearts, what do you think he intends for us to do with that? Talk about it. Tell somebody, boy, I'm really burdened about Fred, but I don't know. Doesn't it make sense that if God places a burden on our hearts, that he intends on us to do something about it? Think, think for a second about Paul's ministry in Macedonia, when he went to Macedonia. Does anybody remember why Paul went to Macedonia initially? They're trying to go to other places. And the Holy Spirit kept telling him, no, 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 no. So they went down to sleep one night. And Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come to us. And he interpreted that as God saying, that's where you're supposed to go. Wouldn't it have been a, a crazy, silly story? Paul woke up and began to tell his companions, I had a dream last night. That God wanted me to go to Macedonia. There's this guy calling me to come, but I don't know. I just don't think I can go to Macedonia. Now, I'm, I'm really burdened about the people of Macedonia, though. Boy, they need Jesus. Philip has a big city. There's an awful lot of people there that have never heard the gospel. They're slave to sin and all sorts of evil spiritual forces. But I just, well, I'm burdened by it. Okay, let's go over here now. I mean, that wouldn't have been a good story. Nobody would look at Paul having that vision. Of God giving him that. And Paul saying, well, I'm not supposed to go there. God just wants me to be bothered by it. God just wants me to pray about it. God just wants me to think about it, to tell others about it. No, we would see that and we go, we honestly, we see it and we know God intends for Paul to go there. If God lays someone on our hearts, it's not so that we can tell people, boy, I'm really burdened about them. It's not so that we can just pray and do nothing else. It is so that we can go to them, we can minister to them, we can help them. So if God has laid someone on our hearts, pray for opportunities to minister to them. Pray for sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. 
But the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to do what God would have us to do. And God wants us to minister. God wants us to serve Him by serving others. That's a, that's a guarantee. It is always God's will that we be ministers. And so the Holy Spirit may well lead us to do this. And how He leads us, it could be any number of ways. It, it may be a burden that He places on our hearts, but it may well just be a thought that comes into our minds. I need to call them. Or we, maybe we're reading the Bible and somebody comes to our minds through the passage and think, I need to share that with them. Somebody comes to our minds because there's problems going on in their life. You think I should go help them. Don't dismiss that. Right. Don't assume that as as fallen people, even though we've been redeemed by the grace of God, that we just naturally have all of these ideas to be generous and kind and good to other people. Don't dismiss any sort of feeling or impression within us that we should go serve them and we should show them Jesus as, well, that was just a random thought that went through my mind. Far more likely, those thoughts that go through our mind are the Holy Spirit leading us and saying, I want you to go minister to them. I want you to share this Bible verse with them. I want you to go pray with them. Not just pray for them. Go pray with them. I want you to go to them and serve them. And then just pray to be open to opportunities. We live in a Fallen, sin-cursed world. That means that we are constantly surrounded by people in need. Every day of our lives, there are people all around us who need what we have. They need the hope that we have in Christ. They need the gospel message. They need to be loved. They need to know that God cares for them, that He has a plan for their life. They, They need to know that Jesus died for them. And opportunities could come up at any time. So we should pray, God, give me eyes that would be sensitive to see these opportunities. And being aware of the fact that these opportunities could come up at any time makes us look far more prone to see. So we pray, God, help me to see the opportunities. If we want to experience God's power at work in us and through us and for us, we have to believe the gospel first. We have to share the gospel. And that necessitates our praying for opportunities to minister to others. We must be willing to serve others. And so we pray for that. Secondly, believe my ministry matters eternally. Paul says again in verse 11, For I long to see that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now, I don't want you to be unaware that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you, just as also among the other Gentiles. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul says, if I come there and I begin to minister, man, it's important. I know that if I come there, I'm going to be able to impart something to you. And I know that when I come there and I minister, I'm going to help you. You're going to help me. And I'm going to have fruit among you. Paul was absolutely convinced, man, that what he was going to do, whatever it was he would get to do when he arrived in Rome, it would matter. It would make a difference in their lives. He he knew that. He, He didn't have a shadow of a doubt that his ministry for Jesus through the gospel mattered. He knew the significance of what he did by serving Jesus, by serving others. 
That is a powerful thought to have. That I know that what I'm doing matters. So here's a question. Do you really believe that your opportunities to minister matter? Do you believe that they matter eternally? It is easy for us to say that, oh, what I could do, it's not going to make a difference. I just, I mean, I, I couldn't possibly make an eternal difference in someone's life. I, I just don't think what I would do, my not doing it doesn't matter that much. Because it's just not that important what I do. I, I am terribly afraid that in, in, in the modern American church, that we have lost our deep-seated conviction that the gospel ministry matters eternally. I'm afraid that we have forgotten what hangs in the balance on whether or not a person believes the gospel and the Jesus that the gospel proclaims. Let me just take a few minutes and remind us. This is a passage that we all ought to memorize. Rescue others, right? So that's evangelism. He's talking about not just praying for them and not just being burdened by them, but going to them, doing something to minister to them. By snatching them from the flames of judgment. I mean, that is a picture, right? Rescue them by snatching them from the flames of judgment. We should do Whatever it takes to burn this image of the importance of the gospel ministry into our lives. That when we share the gospel with someone and they believe it, they are snatched from the flames of judgment. I mean, talk about the power of God getting to see it. And experience it and being a part of someone being snatched from judgment. Let me use the imagery from Jonathan Edwards and his sinners in the hands of an angry God for a moment with this. Imagine those who are lost are dangling over the fires of hell by a spider web thin string that could break at any moment and drop them into eternal damnation. Worse than it could, it certainly will at some point. Without fail, that rope will break and they will fall into damnation. But we don't know when. There's no guarantee that it will be in 10 years or 100 years or when they're old and gray, it'll happen. For life teaches us that the world can change in a moment. A test result can come back badly. The car and oncoming traffic could weave just just that much. And a head-on collision could happen. Health and wealth are no sure bets against or for a long life. So those who do not know Jesus, they are dangling precariously over the fires of hell. And there's nothing they can do about it. They cannot climb up the rope. They cannot snatch themselves from the flames of judgment. They can do nothing 
to reverse their condition. They can do nothing to make their situation better. They are helpless. They are hopeless. The only person in the world who can snatch them from the flames of judgment is Jesus. He is the only hope that they have that can remove condemnation from them and get them out from under out from hanging over the flames of judgment. And for many of those people, you and I are the only connection between them and Jesus. For many of those people, they have they do not have a church background where they have heard the gospel growing up. They don't have godly parents or grandparents that have talked to them about Jesus and read the Bible with them as children. What they have is a friend. Someone in their life that does know Jesus. That does know the one who has the power to snatch them from the flames of judgment. As their only connection to Jesus. We must take the opportunities that arise and tell them about Jesus. If we refuse to tell them about Jesus, we, we damn them by our inaction. We guarantee that they go to hell when they die. Many of you may have seen on the news this last couple of weeks a, a small child in, in England named Alfie that the government determined could not be helped any longer through government health care. And they took away his breathing apparatus and they stopped feeding him and they refused to do anything to help sustain his life. They even refused to allow the Italian government to make a difference, to do anything, to try. From what I saw, they had police officers guard the hospital so that no one could come and take Alfie Evans, take him to the helicopter that the Italian government had waiting to take him to the Vatican where the doctors could at least try to save his life. No, they refused. And they condemned him to die. When we refuse to share the gospel with someone, we are no less culpable than the British government was in the death of Alfie Evans. We are doing the exact same thing. We are saying there is help, there is hope, but I refuse. I refuse to be a part of that. Our ministry of sharing the gospel, it is eternally significant. And our refusal to share the gospel is just as eternally significant. Several years ago, a friend of mine from Tennessee, he sent a message that he was going to the hospital to visit a man in his church who was on the verge of death. And he visited the man and he came back and told me that he had led the man to Christ. The guy had been a part of the church for years, but had never really embraced Jesus as a savior. But he did in a hospital bed. And then a few days later, he passed away. Mike snatched him from the flames of judgment days 
before he went into eternity? What if Mike had not gone? What if he had said this would be an uncomfortable conversation? What if he had said, I'm just not very good at sharing the gospel. What if he had said that guy's nearly dead? He's probably really set in his ways and he won't come to Christ now. Well, that man would be in hell to this day, but instead he's in heaven. Mike and that guy experienced the power of God on that day. Mike experienced it as he shared the gospel. That man experienced it as he believed the gospel and was saved by Jesus. If we want to experience God's power, we must believe the gospel. We must share the gospel. And we really won't share the gospel if we don't believe that that ministry matters eternally. Thirdly, embrace my obligation to gospel ministry. Paul says, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. When Paul said he was a debtor, he, he said he was obligated by duty to share the gospel with them. And likely there are two reasons for that. One is Paul understood what Jesus said when Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. Paul's mind, the Son of God, coming down to heaven, taking on human form, living a sinless life, dying a horrific death on the cross for his sins, and then rising from the dead on the third day, that was a pretty big deal. He had been given quite a bit by Jesus. He had been saved from a lot. He had been given a lot. And it was unthinkable for Paul to not go out and tell that to others. The second is that he was obligated to do this because God had called him and given him a mission to be a part of. In Paul's mind, being called by the awesome God of the Bible to go and, and do something that would make an eternal difference, that was also kind of a big deal. If God has called me to it, Paul's mind was that he would go and do it. it. I mean, the God of the Bible, he just deserved a, a big time commitment. And that obligation was not something Paul took lightly. The picture of, of a being a debtor is that he was relentless and intense in his sense of obligation. Uh, to Paul, knowing the gospel and not sharing it would be worse than having the cure for the the most horrible disease known to man and not telling people what it was. That sense of obligation. It is one that we ought to have. I don't I don't talk a lot about obligation because I don't like the idea, honestly, of obligation in regards to our relationship with Jesus. When I think of obligation, I typically think of legalistic people. They have a duty. They have to do all of these things. Um, I think, by and large, our relationship with Jesus, it ought to be a delight far more than a duty. I love Jesus, so I, I do all of these things that he wants me to do. But there is, there is obligation in this. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. I heard a, a story from a guy this week, and he is the director of the 
Southern Baptist International Missions. And some of their missionaries in, in restricted countries have to be very careful how they share the gospel. Because if they were found out that they were there as gospel missionaries, they would be killed. But, but they're there. So they've already put their lives in danger. And when they lead people to Christ, they ask them, make a list of all the people you know that don't know Jesus. And the list is usually pretty much everybody they know. And they say this, now, circle the names of the five people you think that are least likely to kill you if you talk to them about Jesus. And then when they circle that, they say, okay, now, now you go and you talk to them about Jesus. Now, now here's the kicker. Guess what they do? They go and talk to those people about Jesus. They're not free to share the gospel. They could be arrested. They could be beaten. Their families could die because they are sharing the gospel, because they have believed the gospel. And they're doing it. Name a, name a, just think about all the people you know that don't know Jesus. And how many of them are likely to kill you if you go talk to them about Jesus? I mean, do you even have anybody on your list that might kill you if you talk to them about Jesus? We have freedom. I mean, I don't think it's best, but we could go stand on the street corner on a soapbox and read the Bible and holler at people as they walk by. And the most that would happen, somebody, a police officer would come by and say, you need a permit maybe, or you need to move along, you're distracting customers. Or, I mean, we're, we're not going to go to jail for it, are we, Michael? Would I go to jail if I did that? Okay, I didn't think so, I want to make sure, right? So... Think about the that's given to us. Our freedom is a gift. Do you think we're not accountable for that gift? I heard a, another story. I don't have time for all these stories I've been listening to, but of a guy who they smuggled Bibles into a country. I mean, when he was a, in youth group, their youth group smuggled Bibles into a country. And they knew that if they got caught smuggling Bibles into the country, they would go to jail. And when they gave out Bibles, they had to be very careful who they gave them to because the person could turn them in and they could go to jail for distributing Bibles. How many of us have a Bible today? Multiple Bibles. Do, do we think we're not accountable for that freedom? Much has been given to us. Much will certainly be required of us. It's an obligation. At the same time, we have all been called. Now, we're not all called to preach. And we're not all called to go door to door and knock on the door or stand on the street corners. But we are all called that as we go through life, that we do what we can to make disciples of all nations. We are all called to the ministry of reconciliation to try to, to reconcile lost sinners to a holy God through Jesus Christ. The God of heaven has called us to that. He has saved us to do that. If the Christian life was just about knowing God, and once you got saved, you knew God, and that's all there was, God would rapture us away right then, wouldn't He? We're here because there's a reason. There's something that the God of heaven has for us to do. That is an obligation. So while there, there should be delight more than duty, 
We can't say, well, I don't delight in gospel ministry, therefore I'm not going to do it because there is a duty to it no matter what. We must embrace the obligation that we are responsible. God told Ezekiel that he set him as a watchman for the people. And he said, if you see the sword coming, judgment, your job is to blow the trumpet and say the sword's coming. He said, now if the people hear and they don't respond, ain't nothing you can do about that. But if you see the sword coming and you do nothing, I will require their blood at your hands. That means something. They'd still die. They'd still go to hell. But God's going to hold us accountable for the opportunities we skipped the times that we didn't because we know what's coming. We know what awaits. There's an obligation there. Also, notice that Paul's obligation, who it was to, Greeks and barbarians, wise and to the unwise. Um, Basically, Paul is saying, I I have a, a debt to do this to people who are like me and who aren't like me. Now, the Greek and the barbarian is kind of an interesting contrast because in the in the Greek way of thinking, a barbarian was anyone not of Greek culture. Right? So it wasn't just those who were from the same culture as Paul that he felt the obligation to. It was for all people everywhere. He felt an obligation to share the gospel with people regardless of their race or their nationality or their cultural, or social, economic status. That's the sort of obligation that we ought to have. That, that, well, that's the sort of obligation that is upon us. And we should feel the weight of that. I mean, if evangelism really does snatch people from the flames of judgment, Scripture says it does, then we have an obligation to tell people about Jesus. Jesus really is the only person who can snatch people from the flames of judgment. And we have an obligation to tell people about Jesus. If we really love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then we have an obligation to tell people about Jesus. What do you think it says about our hearts if we have no concern for the salvation of others? What do you think it says about the condition of our hearts? We can't share the gospel with people who are of a culture different than ours. What does it say about our hearts? If we feel no sense of obligation, no weight from the word to tell people about Jesus. If we want to experience the power of God in our lives, we must believe the gospel. We must share the gospel. And that requires us to feel the weight of the obligation that comes from the gospel. Fourthly, be eager to share the gospel. Paul says, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. 
Ready may not be the best translation of the Greek word used there. The English Standard Version translates it as eager. So Paul was not only ready, but he was eager for the opportunities to share the gospel. He wanted to share the gospel. When he says as much as in me, what he's saying is there's nothing in his life that's hindering him from sharing the gospel. The only reason Paul has not shared the gospel, the people at Rome, is that he has not been able to make his way to Rome. He wasn't hesitating. He wasn't holding back. Given the opportunity, he would share the gospel. Are we eager for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus? I mean, don't you think we should be? I mean, just think about it. We have, well, the Son of God came, to hev- came from heaven to earth. He died for our sins. We believed in Him. He caused us to be born again. He placed His Spirit within us. He is working to save us and keep us and going and changing and transforming us and doing all of these things. Shouldn't just the fact that He has done this for us compel us to to shout the good news to anyone that would hear it. I mean, that's what we see in Scripture, isn't it? Think about the people that Jesus ministered to. He touched them. He healed them. He brought the dead back to life. He fed the multitudes. Did any of those people ever just go away and keep that knowledge to themselves? I mean, there were times Jesus even told them, don't go tell anybody about this. Man, they just couldn't help it. What Jesus had done in them and through them and for them, it it bubbled out. They could not stop talking about Jesus. We see it in Acts as well. They were faithful witnesses to the power of God through the gospel. It wasn't a forced issue. One of my favorite examples of this is this verse. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, this isn't the apostles. A few verses either before or after it reminds us that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. This is, these are quote-unquote regular people. It's regular believers. And everywhere they're going, they're, they're sharing the gospel. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, let me ask you, why are they being scattered? What's the, what's the situation that's caused them to leave Jerusalem? It's persecution. The persecution has gone from towards the apostles, towards the people. And now they are suffering so intently that they cannot possibly stay in Jerusalem any longer. So they're fleeing homes and jobs and families. And you would think, I mean, on a natural level, if this Jesus and believing him and talking about him has caused me to lose everything, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to lay low. Right? I'm not going to bring this sort of suffering on my life anymore. I'm going to go there and I'm going to kind of worship him in private. and I'm going to close the doors. I'm going to make sure it's dark and no one can see. And then, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to kind of keep it under wraps. They didn't. It was their faith in Jesus and their devotion to him and their serving him and sharing his message that caused them to have to be scattered. But when they were scattered, they just kept on going. Kept on sharing and and kept on telling about Jesus. They were eager to talk about the one who had done so much for them, even though it had cost them significantly. I mentioned this Wednesday night, but I'll I'll ask it again. If you eat 
at a good restaurant, do you recommend it to people? Someone's going to a town that you've been to and you know there's a good place to eat there. Do you tell them, hey, be sure to check that out while you're there? If you watch a good movie, do you tell people, hey, you ought to go see this movie? If you read a good book, do you tell people this is a good book you ought to to look into? We, We share things that are good, that are meaningful and valuable to us. Well, the gospel is the best good news that there is. There is nothing more meaningful in our lives and more valuable in what it's done. Talking to people about Jesus, it ought to, to bubble up out of us. Just in a natural, normal way. God, help us to be eager to share the gospel. God, forgive us. For almost having to be beaten before we'll talk about Jesus to people who don't know Him. If we want to experience the power of God at work in us and through us and for us, we have to believe the gospel and share the gospel. And there should be a a desire to share the gospel there. And then finally, develop confidence toward the power of the gospel. Confidence in the power of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for any, everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, and he would not be ashamed of the gospel. And to me, that's significant because Paul's life was hard. But Paul's life wasn't hard before he believed in Jesus. Before he believed in Jesus, Paul was rather privileged. He came from a wealthy family. He had gone to the best school, so to speak. He was on the fast track to being a massively important religious leader. And then he met Jesus and that changed everything. The Jews who had once looked up to him despised him. The Greeks who had respected him thought he was a a fool. Pretty much the only thing that the Jews and Gentiles agreed on when it came to a lot of things was that they really didn't like Paul. Paul's service to the gospel of Jesus Christ had caused him to be persecuted. But, But not like red cups at Christmas time that don't say Merry Christmas. More like... Beaten with rods till he nearly died. More like beaten with stripes. Tossed in prison. One of the places that he was put in prison was the innermost part of the prison. One of the commentaries I I read on that said that that place existed because it was the drain where all of more or less what you'd call the toilets drained to. So his preaching of the gospel caused Paul to have to be chained and sitting in a a cesspool. And all of that was just because of the gospel, just because he was preaching the gospel. But he would he would not be made ashamed of the gospel, he says. Now, Paul would probably, no matter what, never say he was ashamed of the gospel and neither would we. 
But what Paul might do is demonstrate that he was ashamed of the gospel by not sharing the gospel when he had the opportunities for what would people say? How will they respond? What if they don't like me because of this? These sort of questions are really the kind of things that we wrestle with, that we hear in our minds. What if they think I'm a fool for believing something like this? But Paul would not be made ashamed of the gospel no matter what they said or how they acted because he knew the gospel was indeed the power of God that led to salvation. We too must have this same sort of conviction. We must be confident that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Initially, I was just going to say be confident in the gospel, but if we're not, that's not a switch you can flip, right? You can't just say, oh, I'm confident in the gospel. So what do we do? We have to develop it. But we develop it, I think, in a couple of ways. One, study the Word. Paul knew that the gospel was the divinely authoritative power that could do what no other power on earth could do. Paul knew the word and he knew the power of God's word. And so he proclaimed God's word. We must study the word to see what it has to say about the power of the word, the power of the gospel. Study things like Isaiah. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Right? The power is in the word, not in our eloquence or our knowledge. That God makes the word Effective. One of my favorite verses. Jesus tells a parable at the kingdom of God as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise in the day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself, he doesn't know how. For the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after the full grain of the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's the picture that he. We share the gospel with someone and then we just kind of go on about our lives, right? Because not everybody we talk to is initially going to be saved right that second. But that doesn't mean the time was wasted. The seed's been planted and, and God's going to take that seed and he's going to do something in their lives. Right? We, we grow and we, we learn these things. The, the word will always work in people's lives. And we don't have time to get into all the ways that it does. But the word always does something. Every time somebody reads the word or hears the word... It does something in their lives, right? It either softens their heart and draws them to Jesus or it hardens their heart and pushes them away from Jesus because people always respond. So the word is always powerful. The word is always working. It doesn't fail when we share it. We study the Bible. We see what it says and we develop this confidence in the gospel. Then we look at lives that are changed. Another reason that Paul was confident in the power of the gospel, he had seen what it could do. He had gone into pagan cities and he had seen revival break out. He had seen communities transformed. He had seen people burn millions of dollars worth of witchcraft books because they'd been so changed and saved by Jesus. He knew what the gospel had and what the gospel could do to change a life. That's part of the way that we develop confidence in the power of the gospel. We look at lives that have been changed. Scripture is filled with them. But also, we could look at just in life, there are any number of Christian biographies. And any good Christian biography is going to tell you about their salvation experience. How Jesus came into their life and the difference that he made. 
That strengthens our confidence in the gospel. Or if you like podcasts, there's one called Unshackled. And it's put on by the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. Pacific Garden Mission is the longest running, consistently running mission in America. And they put out a weekly radio broadcast, a radio drama for, I don't know, like a hundred years. And that's all it is. It is real life stories of people. Who they were before they met Jesus, how they came to meet Jesus, and what Jesus did in their lives after they met him. It is awesome. I try to listen to it often while I'm, while I'm preparing my sermons just to remind me the great power of the gospel and the importance of what we're doing. But perhaps the best way to look at changed lives is to look at our own life, look in the mirror. I mean, in what ways has Jesus changed your life? How have you experienced the power of God at work in you and through you and for you since you believed the gospel? But in what ways are you different because of Jesus? Now, let me say, I want to say this tenderly. And I hope not with judgment. But is it possible? That in some cases, our hesitancy to share the gospel, our, our lack of confidence in the gospel, comes because we really don't see what it's done in, in our lives. I mean, is it, is it possible that as we look at our lives, we are, we are essentially the same people we would be without Jesus? We would be moral people. We would be good spouses. We would be good parents. That, that Jesus really hasn't made a difference in our lives. When you look at yourself and your life, do you see a change that Jesus has made? Things that, that you are, things that you do, things that you have done, just because of your faith in Jesus. And he should. When Jesus comes into a life, he always changes things. Always. Where there is no change, man, there is a problem. Looking at the change that the gospel has made in our lives and in the lives of others, it increases our confidence in the power of the gospel. It causes us to say, man, what it did in, in me, it could do in them. And if there is no change, we ought to be deeply, deeply bothered by that. Those who experience the power of God in them and through them and for them believe the gospel and share the gospel. And we must have an unwavering confidence in the power of the gospel to do that. Let's all stand.